Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. We need to play some round the twist music, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> Have you ever, ever felt like this? this? How strange things, things happen. happen. Are you going round, round going round the twist? That's how it was. <laughs> I did not help with that at all. It was all you, Kate. I loved it. Uh... <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How do you do? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. I had a great day today, and but I'm also Excellent. very excited to wind down with a glass of wine and listen to a fabulous story. How are you? Yay! You can wind down. Uh, I'm really well, thank you. I actually that's a that's a flat out lie. I feel like I'm coming down with something, and there's a lot of ill people at my workplace and such, and I really need to stop making out with people and and what maybe that's part of it but at this not at work not at work yes <laughs> outside of work but at the same time I think I might be coming down with something hopefully it's just you know in my mind <gasps> you'll, you'll get why I said that surely, <laughs> <but yeah. Teaser. laughs> um, but otherwise exceptional I have a massive episode today to share with lots of little stories in it so I'm very excited to share it but Dominic, do we have any housekeeping? Oh, I liked that. That was very James Bond theme song-esque. Yeah, I was actually trying to channel a bit of, uh, what's her name? Um, Shirley. Shirley, yes. Shirley Bassett. Bassett? No. Bassie. Bassie, thank you. She's not a dog breed. She's a singer. (laughs) And she's not Angela Bassett did the thing. Um, but yes, our pretty much stock standard housekeeping is please go check out all of our amazing social channels at shitting.bricks.podcast. And while you're at it, go become one of our brickies on Patreon because Kate and I are delivering extra bonus episodes on the weekly. Oh, damn. So how exciting you're missing out if you're not one of our brickies and you're putting a few extra coins in our pocket to keep the lights on. So just that's right. Give it a crack. Please do. And guess what? Funnily enough, what? it's shitting.bricks.podcast. Ooh, that's rare. So you can find it pretty easily on Patreon or it's on so true. links on our socials as well. And if you've got any beef with Caterai or you've got a story that you want us to tell, why not email us at... Or, yeah. Yeah, like we're open to suggestions. Definitely. You may or may not be as good a storyteller as we are, but we'll put you to the test. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So just email us at shitten.bricks.podcast at gmail.com. Do it. Do it now. Okay. Amazing. And one last thing. We have got our Boopod Network feature podcast this week. 
is so last week we did like the OG Boopod Network founder, Steve. Hi, Steve. From Haunted UK Podcast. But this week we're going to do Horror Roulette with yep. Nick and M, who were, in fact, the first ever podcast that we ever connected with and did like a little cross promotion. So amazing. Hey, Nick and M. Yeah, we love Nick and M, brother and sister, unless I've, no, they're brother and sister. And they are now. They are now. And each week they do like they use an online appy roulette game thing and they pick a random word and then they each have to tell a story based off of that word. It's hilariously simple but also awesome idea. So um, I love it. Very much like Kate and I. So go check them out. Yes, do it. Do it. Hello and welcome to Horror Roulette, where you never know what you're going to get. We're your hosts. I'm Em and that's my brother Nick. Each week we spin the Wheel of Misfortune to randomly generate an episode topic, which makes our lives miserable, but this podcast listenable. We've covered everything from the Toy Box Killer to Jack and Jill. From Ed Wood to Black Widows, we've suffered through it all. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out at HorrorRoulette.com. Listen if you dare. And I almost forgot. Sorry, Kate. One more thing. Okay. Please don't forget to go rate and review us. It's the year of rating and reviews. We're still not getting the ones that we were expecting. In fact, we haven't gotten any since we started reminding you at the start of this year. What? Oh, my God. So, People folks, don't know how to use their phones. You're not listening. Please go give us a five-star <laughs> review. We told you again. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Thank very you. quick. Very easy. Okay. 442... All you, Kate. That's the end of Hal's Thank you, Dom. And that is uh, perfect timing because, as I said at the top of this episode, this is a this is a big one, and I even cut out stories. So uh, you know, this could potentially be something I revisit later on down the track. But today, I am going to talk to you and our listeners about the brain. The brain. The brain. the brain. Now I looked up, I usually like to do a phobia at the start of my episode. Believe it or not, the anything if you're looking like phobias about the brain or phobias of the brain, everything goes into uh, how phobias are created in the brain. Yeah. So it's not so much the brain, but it explains a little bit about how they work. And I don't think that I've done a real kind of uh, description of that. So I'm going to hit you with that today because it's all about the brain. So When we're talking about our episodes, we talk about scary things. So when I went on to have a look up some phobias, how they're created, yada, 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 it explains that fear is an emotion of anticipation that is triggered when a situation that is at risk for our safety and or the safety of others is perceived. 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 Through either, now this is from a scientific journal, so I'm going to hit you with some big words. I'm very excited and I'm going to pretend like I know what they all mean and how to say them all. Educate us. Risk of our safety or the safety of others is perceived through either uh, exterior, oh wow, I fucked the first one. Okay. Um, Exterioceptive, exteroceptive inputs or the endocrine and autonomic nervous systems. To prepare the body to face this danger, these stimuli can evoke our freeze, flight, fight, fright, fuck reactions. (laughs) Or 
I don't believe that last one is actually on the list, folks, but you never know in the big city. Or tend and befriend responses such as turning to others for help or social support or making a situation less tense, dangerous or uncomfortable in some way. At the neurobiological level, I know you were worried about that, Mm. significant advances have been made in identifying fear circuits and mechanisms. Dysfunctions in these circuits or mechanisms can lead to chronic psychiatric disorders, including post-traumatic stress disorder and various types of phobia, including specific phobias, which we have talked many, many about. Indeed, available treatments that aim to reduce pathological fear are associated with decreased symptom severity, but up to 40% of patients show only partial long-term benefit, while most of them fail to achieve complete remission. So if you get treated for something, it might get better, but it'll never go away entirely is what I took from that. The brain. Specific phobias are extreme and persistent fears of certain objects, situations, activities, or people. Additionally, people who suffer from specific phobias work hard to avoid their phobia stimuli, even though they know that there is no threat or danger, but they feel powerless to stop their irrational fears. Dogs, heights, tunnels, uh, darkness, water, flying, and injuries involving blood are a few of the more common irrational fears. We have gone into some of the more uncommon ones. However, all of those I think we've pretty much uh, covered up to date. While PTSD is always caused by a traumatic event, specific phobia can result from either a traumatic event or not. So there's, you know, different forms. Mm. So that's a little bit of a scientific roundhouse kick to the noggin about uh, fears, phobias, those sorts of things. Yeah, and like all through our episodes, we always touch upon a little bit on the specific like psychological, you know, context of specific fears and where they may originate from and why and blah 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 Correct. so thanks kate hey no worries do you know what i'm not going to stop there i'm going to get into some of the weird things that your brain does and i really enjoyed reading about these it's very much a i've yeah everybody's had this everybody's had this so i'm going to tell you a little bit more in detail about some of the weird shit that your brain does now your brain our brain our brains uh, have incredible processing power and storage capacity it can handle a huge amount of sensory input at once and it not only makes us who we are but it keeps us going unfortunately it's not entirely perfect it is full of technical glitches storage issues and not one little bit of confusion but that can lead to some pretty weird stuff Some of it is weird that we haven't wanted to admit that it's happening for a very long time. Fortunately, though, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of weird, wonderful things that our brains do. The first one that I want to talk to you about is autonomous sensory meridian response, otherwise known as ASMR. Oh, my God. Now, this is something that's really hit the pop culture um, you know, uh, the zeitgeist in the past 12, 18 months, in my opinion. ASMR, you would have heard about it, people on the internet, you know, crunching things and talking sexily into microphones and whatnot. Yeah, Kate, there's people that make more money than you yep. and I do from both of our jobs and yep. the little money we make from this podcast combined, <laughs> times it by Correct. 10. There's people literally making so much money off of ASMR. Now, here you go. Here's here's an interesting thing about that. It's only something that only certain people experience. Mm. So not everybody gets a benefit from ASMR, but for these lucky 
people, certain triggers create what they describe as a sort of overwhelmingly pleasant tingling sensation that settles into the back of their head or neck. Now, what causes this? There is not really any idea as to why. There was a a study done in 2018 which found that ASMR can produce some mental and physical health benefits, but it didn't find any smoking guns. There hasn't been much research done on the phenomenon. I'm sure that there's going to be more. And one of the only real scientific studies out there is from Swansea University, examining the experiences of 500 people sensitive to ASMR. While they didn't even start to get into what's going on as far as brain activity and ASMR-sensitive people, they did find that for most of the people surveyed, it was whispering that really did the trick and it kick-started the head tingles. Deliberate movements was another big one. So there are a bunch. (laughs) I'm trying to whisper, but I don't know how low I can whisper into my microphone for it still to be picked up. So I don't think I'm going to be taking off of my ASMR (laughs) in my career anytime soon. How much effort you put into the words. Oh, I see. So it's more of a breathy kind of thing. I see. Okay, Kate and I are going to have a shitting brick sex line. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I'm down with that. I think that'll work really well on my resume right next to classroom teacher. Uh, now, there's a whole bunch of videos on YouTube where whispering people pretend to give you a haircut while people watch them. Now, that's to relax. Uh, yeah. Now, we don't know a whole lot about ASMR. Uh, there wasn't even a term for it until when do you think the term was uh, was created, Dom? What, what year? 2016. 2010, so you weren't too far off, but there wasn't even a a term until 2010, so it's not long ago. Now, not entirely surprising uh, because even now those who experience it have a tough time explaining it to those that don't. Even harder is explaining, I really like the articles I took from this particular um, website because it's very sassy, even harder is explaining why you're sitting in the dark listening to a woman whispering at you waiting for something a lot of people called head orgasms. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, Kate. I don't, I don't subscribe to ASMR stuff on the regular, yep. but yep. I can enjoy it. Like, I can, I'm, I'm interested. Whenever I come across it in like TikToks and other recordings yeah. and things, I'm like, this isn't unpleasant. Whereas Jessica Taranto, it's torture. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. And to be honest, in terms of ASMR, I haven't really engaged in much of that. But I will tell you that if somebody whispered in my ear, I. I would collapse at the knees. Oh. I, I have a huge uh, physical response to someone whispering in my ear, um, which sometimes makes work meetings challenging because <laughs> if someone needs to speak to you and they're sitting next to you and then they're just like, why are they talking about curriculum again? I'm like, stop. Kate's on the floor. <laughs> Kate's melted out of her chair again, guys. Someone pick her up. Um, no, I can control it most of the time, but don't whisper in my ear. Um, if you're near me, that's just all I'll say. Um, okay. So that's ASMR, the next brain fuckery I want to talk to you about. I'm very sweary today, aren't I? Not I think really. that's about the, f- that's the fourth swear I might've dropped. Lo- Apologies to anyone listening who's offended by foul language. Last um, week when I'll I keep was doing, doing the dentist episode, was it yeah. the dentist, oh, whichever episode it was. No, it was a different one last week, but anyway. Mice, the mice, mice one. I yeah. swore, I think about 30 times within <laughs> five minutes about my dental trauma. So yeah, don't but worry. fair no. enough. Cause you were frustrated about it. I could sense that. I was, and I'm still not vaping folks. Just let me Yay. know. Yeah. Okay. The next one I want to talk to you about Dominic is the doorway effect. 
The doorway effect. Now, the doorway effect is, you know, have you ever walked into another room and completely forgot why you were there? You are not alone and you're probably not going insane. Very sassy. You're just the victim of what's called the doorway effect. Researchers from the University of Notre Dame set up an experiment just to see uh, how walking from one room to another in a controlled environment actually impacted memory. The tests were done both in a virtual setting and a real life one. Participants were asked to walk into a room and pick up an item. In the game, it disappeared into a virtual backpack, while in real life, it was hidden in a box. They would then walk into a different room, put the object down, pick up another one, rinse and repeat. At various points in the exercise, they stopped and asked people what was in their box (laughs) or inventory. (laughs) If they were asked right after going through the door, they were less likely to remember and slower to respond, whether they were in the real environment or the virtual one. So what is going on? They called it the event model, which basically means that our memories work great until our brain decides the information it's holding onto isn't useful anymore. So another way to think about this is uh, that it's bad timing and whatever you've forgotten is the bit that your brain's decided is the least useful. Uh-huh. So our brain will just mess with us all the damn time. Like it's, it's just like, nah, that doesn't seem important. Don't worry about it. So if you're thinking about it, say picking up dog food, worrying about a presentation you've got at work tomorrow, wondering what you're going to make for dinner and going to the kitchen for a cup of coffee, your brain is likely to shove that cup of coffee right off your mental radar. And when you change your physical environment at the same time, your mental one is changing gears. And sometimes those gears slip. You drop things, but don't worry. It wasn't an important thing. That is good to know. Like as I'm like, we're not old at all, Kate, but like, no, there's a shift in your capabilities when you get to like your mid thirties. And once you get into your forties, as with every part of it, definitely. But I'm Actually, not as whilst... sharp as I used to no, be. And there's sometimes no. where I go, oh, okay. Oh, God. Dominic in the future is going to really struggle to remember this. So I'm going yeah. to do some exercises to That's it. put this in my head. Anyway. But it's also why, uh, you know, when you walk back into the room where you had the initial thought of what you were going to go and get, then your brain will help you out again and bring it back up to the list because it's the situational awareness of, of what's going on. So try that if you don't already. Just go back to where you were when you thought of the thing and it should come to you. Um, speaking of being old, I was just looking at my story <laughs> and the uh, font is currently set at 11 and I was like, oh, this definitely needs to be a 13, 14 situation. I think I'm beyond 11. <laughs> I'm reading it, but I'm like, oh, God, I think it's time. I need to see the optometrist. Okay, I pay that. But what I thought you were referring to was your oh, Facebook or your Instagram story of me singing at Club ah. Retro <laughs> and flashing everyone in your friends list and going, oh, ah. that's an age thing too. Don't let's oh. just put that away. <laughs> no, I definitely don't take that as an age thing. That's just a dumb thing. It's different. <laughs> Oh, it was exquisite. I loved our night out. Dom and I went out and partied on the weekend, everyone. And Dom and I haven't partied very often, frequently, which I find very surprising because we are a blast in a glass. So we need to be doing it much more often. Actually, do you know what? Based on my behavior when I got home, I don't know that we maybe should. Oh, I managed we should. To, <laughs> I managed to get home. And um, I decided that I needed to get in my house and have a padlock on my back gate, very safety conscious, for the life of me. I could not wrestle with that padlock. <laughs> I was 
I couldn't tell you why, but I don't think cognitively I was 100% lucid. Um, something was going on in my brain. I must have walked through a doorway or something, multiple doorways, and I could not figure out my padlock. So I thought, do you know what? Why bother with a padlock on a gate when I can just yeet my handbag over the fence and climb it? <laughs> oh, God. As long as you didn't so, fall. No, I didn't fall, but I have got a bruise that is forming on my inner leg from straddling my fence, um, which is a, yeah, it's a bit of a doozy. And then turns out I didn't collect all of the items from my garden because last night when I was going to do a bit of a tidy up, I found my house keys and my driver's license just in the rocks oh. of my garden. But I found everything, I think. That's good. All right. This, uh <laughs> It's share it's enough time. about our weekend. It's share, share time. time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next uh, weird thing I want to talk to you about our brain does is called de- decaying directional awareness. Now, have you ever heard those stories about those morons? That's a bit strong language. I didn't write that. They're so busy following their GPS that they drive right off a cliff or into a lake. Yeah. Have you ever heard stories of this? Yeah. yeah of course. They, um, or is that, you know, something, is it something else other than them just natural selection? You know, it's just part of natural selection. Darwin Awards. Our dependence on navigation systems and the resulting accidents is something called death by GPS, even if no one actually dies. It turns out that we as a society have become so reliant on GPS technology that our naturally occurring directional systems are withering away to nothing. (sighs) We've long known that we have parts of the brain solely dedicated to directions, with with the best proof of that coming from London's black cab drivers. Getting a cab license requires memorising 25,000 different streets and countless landmarks, points of interest and kebab shops along the way. Brain scans of active drivers show that all cabbies' grey matter expands to deal with the sheer volume of information and decreases back to normal levels when they retire. The last part of what's happening to our brains when we become dependent on our GPS, but we don't have the Head Start London cabbies do, uh, it's um, mental mapping. Okay, and there's a whole new generation of drivers that don't have to think about things like associating landmarks with their drive to work or finding shortcuts on their own. When GPS dependent drivers were tested on their environmental awareness, they failed so miserably that some couldn't even recognize a street in the opposite direction that they had just driven down several times. In short, GPS is great, but depend too much on one and your sense of direction atrophies. Mm. I find this so fascinating because Same. Kane gives me grief all the time because I'm one that puts on my GP, like my Google Maps every time I get into the car. Yeah. Not because I'm necessarily lazy, though there are those moments, but more so because I just like, I trust that this app would get me there quicker than what even my brain. Like I know yes. all the side streets, I know all the potential ways to get there, but there could be something environmental, situational that I'm not aware of because I don't have visibility of it. So I'm just going to trust that an app has factored that in. Yeah. But yeah. He gives me grief and it's just like, you need to not be so reliant on it because it's actually going to like hinder atrophy your, your brain and now oh fuck he's gonna it's scientifically proven i'm sorry this. you're welcome kane but i'm sorry dom i usually put it on so even like even in the morning on my way to work um i will just put it on so that i can get traffic updates so it tells me how long or what time i'll arrive at work so that just in case i'm just like okay it gives me a bit of a rough idea of what time i'll arrive at work even though my travel time to work is the same every day 
and I've been doing it now for, for three months. Um, but I usually do the same. I usually have it on just more so to check the times of things, but Mm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm going to think about that a little more. I'm like, no, I don't want my directional awareness to atrophy. I feel I have a really good understanding and a good directional, um, uh, capacity for Victorian roads. So yeah, it, it's very much like Kate and I are from a generation where in Australia we had what was called Melways, or in the state of Victoria, yes. it was a massive, yeah. massive book of all the roads and streets in the whole entire state. Well, yeah, pretty much. And yeah. if you ever went anywhere, you would always need a Melways to find out where you're going, and you'd have to yep. follow it through pages and pages and pages and grids and things. And it taught kids to read maps because obviously Correct. their parents couldn't be doing it. So you used to tell your parents how to get to where you're going because yep. you couldn't drive. And yep. every invitation to school, like if your friend was having a birthday party, every yep. invitation always had a Melways reference attached Correct. to yeah. the party information which yep. I just find that's so retro it's so funny isn't it that's so retro and it was always and with that too you still needed directional awareness because you'd be looking for landmarks and roads and things like that so you'd be moving along like you know Burwood Highway for example and it was like okay cool when I get to Springvale Road I need to turn left and it was very much uh helping with that directional awareness but now GPS is you just follow your little screen and just plot along and see what happens oh, well. so there you go folks if you don't want to have your uh directional awareness atrophied then don't use the gps quite as much when you don't have to put your ways away oh that was very good well done the next phenomenon i want to talk to you about is semantic satiation oh that's a sexy little let's try a little experiment dominic okay and you don't even have to get out of your chair folks at home if you're walking around if you're listening to this in your car whatever you want I would like for you just to say the word dog over and over. Dog. 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 I mean, for the sake of a podcast where you don't want to listen to us say dog for 20 minutes, if you keep doing it and you do it enough, the word starts to sound funny. Yeah. And I'm sure that not necessarily in this uh, case, but there's certainly lots of different, I mean, even shows. I remember a scene from Friends. I think they were saying cupcake or something like that. And uh, it started to sound funny. And they were like, is that right? Cupcake? Now you start to wonder whether or not it's even a word. What does it mean? Is it spelt right? What's a dog? What's happening? It is called semantic satiation. And it happens when we see or hear the same word repeated over and over again. For around a century now, psychologists have known about the phenomena and it's pretty straightforward. When we hear or see something enough times, our brain gets bored and presumably (laughs) just wanders off to play with something else. (laughs) So we don't just stop paying attention to it. We also stop assigning any particular meaning to the word. So it's the same thing that's happening if you spend all day in a coffee shop. By the end of the day, you don't smell coffee anymore because your brain's bored of it. Wow. How so, wild are brains? They're just like, oh, that's boring now. I said dog 50 times. Blech. <laughs> I'm going to think about something else. What I would like to know is why that doesn't apply or how that's different for things like addiction, like chocolate. If I say chocolate or eat chocolate all day, every day for uh-huh. an entire day, do you think I'd my brain would get bored of it? I guess it's other parts of the body. I think, that's... Yeah. I also feel as though something like that where it has particular chemicals that impact your brain, it's the chemicals that are driving that 
rather than the actual the sort of thing itself. Yeah, the getting thought. sick of something or yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't but that be again, great? It would be great. I'm not a doctor, um, but yeah, I'd say it's potentially something to do with the the chemicals that are going into the brain rather than the thought that your brain's becoming bored with it. Okay, the next one, I find every single one of these so exciting and so fascinating. The next one I have for you, and I have suffered this many a time in my life, is the paradox of choice. Now, not only is your brain fickle, but it is sabotaging you and making you miserable. No worries, everyone. Uh, that is the theory. Now, that's it's a theory behind Barry Schwartz's paradox of choice, but it does make a lot of sense. Now, the basic idea is that every day our modern world pre presents us with an overwhelming number of choices. We call it freedom, but it's really presenting us with a sort of crippling indecision even after we make a choice. Our brains compare our choices to the ones that others make. And because brains are cruel, they're always focused on the choices that we think turned out better. We second guess everything from our career choices to decisions at the grocery store and every single thing in between. That is a huge amount of information to process. And that means that we are as overwhelmed by the things that we don't do as much as we are overwhelmed by the things that we do. Now, Schwartz says that a lot of the time it's this freedom that results in us not doing anything at all. Freedom coupled with high standards that seem to only get worse and worse with the shiny selective view of reality via social media paralyzes us into never deciding which friend to hang out with, which movie to go to, which restaurant to eat at, etc., etc. It is everywhere and it overloads our brains and it gives us less freedom at the end of the day. So then we just stay at home on the couch where we are faced with the choices of what's on Netflix. This is giving me such matrix vibes. It's like, do we ultimately have choice or do we not have choice at all? Yes. And just the way that you spoke about that was just reminded me so much of that. And I definitely can have moments where I'm like, oh, yeah. the responsibility of choosing yep. is too much. And, it's exhausting. And you think about it, there are people out there that love voluntarily giving their freedom away mm -hmm. so they don't have that pressure and stress of choice and happily right. to have someone just decide for them. Like, Yeah. I mean, even down to something as simple as if you go, I mean, I guess probably happens a lot with us, Dom, in terms of our family. But if I go to your mum's house or you come to my mum's house or we go to our respective mother's homes and they're like, I've made dinner, here it is. And they put it in front of you, you go, thank God, because I could not even fathom what I was going to eat today. And you have just put a meal in front of me and you have taken away all of that sense of what I needed to eat. So thank you. And it's that comfort thing. It's where someone else take, takes the pressure off you and you don't have to worry about that particular thing because you're already thinking about a, about a billion other things. So choice of dinner, Being fantastic. taken care of, yeah. Correct, yeah, yeah. But it's also understanding why people suffer from anxiety and depression and, um, you know, plethora of other uh, disorders that, that we struggle with because, yeah, our brains are fucking with us. <laughs> They're like, bastard. you guys can do anything you want. And I was liking this to, um, to school. When I was in school, I used to love subjects where it's like very, you know, cool. You can pick and here's three things you can pick from. So I'll be like, great. Thank you very much. I'm going to take option B and I'm going to go ahead and do that and put all of my effort into it. Whenever I was in English or something and they would say, you can do a creative writing piece about whatever you want. 
It was the worst piece of shit I've ever put on a piece of paper. So give me some choice because otherwise it's too much and your brain will sabotage your efforts in doing it. We talk about that a lot in like from that my artistic background and time when it was you'd get into a studio and they're like, here's a blank canvas and there's nothing scarier to an artist than a blank canvas. Uh-huh you'd think that should excite them and they've got all this opportunity to create anything. But in fact, if you give an artist just a blank canvas and no prompt, no nothing, no stimuli, nothing, yep. it's the fear of a blank canvas. I think there's even some like, I'm sure there's con- some conceptual artists that have done whole fucking series of the, the horror of a blank canvas. So yeah, definitely. Too much choice. Too much choice. All right, here's another one that we've all suffered from, earworms. Now, earworms, us, no, not earworms, physical worms. They're songs that get stuck in our head, Dom. I saw your face just respond to that. (laughs) You're giving me. And you're like, what? Why is, has everybody had an earworm? What the hell? (laughs) It's like that Star Trek Wrath of Khan movie where those fucking things get in their ear and they mind control them and it's like. No, no, this is earworms in the sense of a song that gets stuck in your head. Okay. Now, everyone, everyone seems to have their own songs that they are vulnerable to. A Goldsmiths University study asked people what they usually found getting stuck in their head and wound up with around 5,000 songs. Earworms happen for a surprisingly complicated reason, and part of it has to do with repetition. So how many times did you hear, hey, Macarena, playing on the radio in your head? right? So that would get stuck in your head. But it is more than just that. As songs are one of the few things that are absolutely identical every time you hear them, that gives you no question about what the melody or the lyric is that comes next, which allows your brain to run away with the song and continue to play it until you wonder if gouging out your eardrums with a spoon will help. (laughs) It also has something to do with part of our short-term memory called our slave system. That's the part that stores information that we need to concentrate on right now, like a phone number or what we're ordering when the waiter comes back. A song's familiarity, repetition and catchy lyrics trick that part of our brain into thinking that it is really important that we figure out what the fox is saying right now, even though we don't really care. Also, it can take virtually any sort of exposure or completely unrelated stimuli to get that mental music playing, which is why we also can't resist telling you about our pocket full of sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Dom, do you have an earwig? Because mine is playing in my head right now that we're talking about this, and it is the same song every gosh darn time. Do you have an earworm song that gets stuck in your head? I was just trying to Regularly? I really struggle to recall songs while people are talking or if they're playing mm-hmm. another song. Um, yep. There was a couple that I used to sing when I was a child um, and now they're fully escaping me. Um, mm-hmm. Mine is We Go Together from Greece. And that just even those bars will just replay in my head a lot, but at least it's a happy song. Yeah, that's pretty you know, good, but it is it's it's very going. like the circusy song. Like it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly it's right. In there, it really gets you going. Okay, now talking about common things that people have experienced, here is some info about deja vu. You are now, my sunshine, my only sunshine. There we sunshine. go. 
I sing that to people constantly. Anyway. I've just got to get through the next part of the Grease song because it's still in We go together like wap, bubble, bubble, wap, bamboo. Write in, let us know what your earworms are, folks, or whether or not you were singing You Are My Sunshine or are we go together from Grease after you listen to this episode. So deja vu, you are familiar with deja vu. It's the feeling that you've experienced something before, very matrixy also. So cool. So cool. For years, we haven't had a clue about what's going on during these unsettling episodes until now. Sadly, it's not a past life experience that is poking in our consciousness. It is our brain resolving conflict in information. Now, it was in 2016 in July that a team at the University of St. Andrews in the UK presented their findings on the subject. They suggested that deja vu, the feeling that you've experienced something before, happens in the front part of the brain and it's triggered when we think we've experienced something that we haven't. The team triggered the feeling by giving volunteers lists of words like dream, night and bed and then asking them if they had seen a word that started with S. Sleep wasn't on the list, but it was familiar enough to what they've been thinking about that it seemed like it should have been on that list. So basically, when we feel deja vu, maybe what we're actually feeling is our brain re-accessing our memories to see how it can solve a uh, conflict in information. If you've never experienced deja vu, then it might mean that your memory is better than average and you never have any errors to correct. (gasps) Oh, I like that. How good. Yeah. I mean, look, I I don't have deja vu very often, but I I have had, and I can't, if you ask me what they were, I couldn't yeah, recall you can't what describe they them. were. No, what, it's just a what feeling. It a, what it was before or the instance, uh-huh. if it was a thing I saw or a word I said, but that I, I have had in my lifetime, like at least four to five examples of where I'm like, I've literally been right here and done exactly yep. this. Yep. Um, and they're very intense. It's never been wishy-washy. It's either not at all or it's it's like. Or it's full on. Yeah. 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 So if you don't get it very often or if you don't feel like you've ever experienced it, perhaps you just have a really good memory. So you don't have any conflicts in your mind that are trying to solve themselves. Well, that's the question, Kate. Like, I would, I would genuinely, genuinely say I could count on my hand how many times. I've, I've you've had experienced really deja vu experienced it okay and how would you rate your sense of memory do you think you have a really good memory or are you I think I have a pretty good memory but I think I've 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 experienced deja vu more than half a dozen times I think it's been a lot more common okay um but yeah but I don't know what that says I feel like I have a good memory so I how would, bizarre I would love to play that's one of those classic games memory you know yep. with the tiles oh my goodness yep Give me that. I love that game. So. And to be honest, maybe we need to be doing more things like that. People playing brain games and doing all that because of our GPS atrophy. Maybe we're atrophying, atrophying. That's not a word, is it? It is Atro- now. Atrophy. We're suffering from atrophy in other ways. Uh, here's another one, which goes directly to memory. Uh, lethologica. Lethologica. Okay. Now this is, we've, when ever all of us have been there, but you are trying to think of a word or a name that you know, but you can't come up with it. It's the thing that you're looking for, uh, the what's it that you need for work, the guy in the movie. Um, Now, what's going on when you forget a name or a word basically has to do with the way that we store information. 
when we're trying to think of something like the guy from inception, wasn't he in Jurassic Park as well? The guy, the name. Now our memories tend to follow a series of pathways to get the words that we're looking for. <laughs> Touching the tongue. Tip of the tongue. Ah, oh, tip of the tongue. <laughs> I've been doing it for like a whole minute. <laughs> <laughs> the video of this is going to be hilarious. Like. It looks so seedy. I love it. Uh, tip of the tongue, correct. Lethologica, tip of the tongue. Uh, now, our memories tend to follow a series of pathways to get to the words that we're looking for. Now, since there are a huge number of words in the English language, it makes sense that we use some more than others. Now, those pathways, they're clear, they're paved, they're well-traveled roads. Pathways to other words are overgrown, muddy, bug-infested roads that we have to machete our way through. Okay. Talk about some metaphor, some hyperbole. Now that takes a little bit of time. So the words at the end are part of what's called our passive vocabulary. And since we don't use them all the time, we file them away and forget where we left them. Proper names are one of the most commonly forgotten combos, which explains why every movie and television show that we watch has at least one of those guys I've seen before mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. That's Lethologica. Tip of the tongue. I do like that. I think that's it's a personal challenge. I'm like, oh, I can't rest until I remember the word or the name or the that's whatever. Right. That, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And that's just because your brain's, you know, trudging up those pathways that are all overgrown and they're getting eaten by bugs and stuff. And you're like, well, I have to get to the end of the pathway because this is driving me batty. Tripping over a few hundred bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah. Now this next uh, strange, weird occurrence goes out to Jessica Taranto. Uh, it is misophonia. Now, misophonia is when the sound of someone chewing with their mouth open or chugging a can of beer makes you want to reach down their throat and rip out their intestines. Yep. Researchers are finally looking into why some sounds trigger serious rage hate in some people. (laughs) The people who had misophonia knew that they were being irrational Not about chewing with your mouth open, please don't do that, but they needed to develop their own sorts of coping methods to deal with the rage. The jury is still out on what's causing some people's misophonia, but early research has linked it to a very specific form of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Does not... Doesn't shock me at all. Does not surprise me. Now, other research seems to suggest that the brain of someone who can't stand the sound of markers on a whiteboard is working a little bit differently than most brains. There's likely a sort of hyperconnectivity between the person's auditory system and the limbic system. The latter is where our emotions come from. Limbic systems, where your emotions come from, which suggests that you really honestly are feeling that murderous rage and that you're not just imagining it. Most recent research suggests misophonia doesn't just cause rage either. It can also peak emotions like sadness, anxiety, and disgust, among others. I'm not surprised by disgust, but the other ones are very interesting. Yeah, I tend to go the, like, the tense kind of, like, anxiety for some sounds. Some sounds will really, yeah, drive me, drive me nuts. Um... But yeah, I don't know the chewing and stuff. Chewing, I can I can deal with. Um, the drinking, the 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 yeah, the it doesn't. Yeah, the gulping and yeah, watching someone woof, just makes me annoyed. It's the chewing gum. If you chew gum with your mouth open, get away from me. You, yeah, put me in jail because yep. I'm going to hurt you. Okay, another little tiddo bitto about your brain is motion sickness. Now, motion sickness, it can and will try to ruin anything. 
<laughs> so it's more it's more than just a nuisance, especially if it means that your road trip ends up with you needing to get your car detailed. Um, but that smell never goes away. And while it might not make it any better to know why it happens, at least you'll have something to talk about while you're waiting to get your car back. <laughs> this article is so sassy. We don't completely understand what's going on that makes us turn a nice sort of blue-gray color on boats and in cars, but it may have something to do with the brain being unable to process conflicting information. You're sitting still, but your eyes and your ears are flying down the highway at 10 miles over the speed limit. It's likely that conflicting data screws up a person's sense of balance, which leads to motion sickness. There's another theory that suggests that it comes from your body's inability to predict how it has to move in order to maintain your center of balance Mm. balance, um, to keep you from face planting. Uh, As to why some people get it and some don't, there's evidence for a genetic base for motion sickness. They may also um, be linked to migraines as people that suffer from migraines are more likely to get motion sickness. Fortunately, and I know we're all hanging out for this, NASA is working on a way to combat the queasy feeling um, that some people are susceptible to. So hopefully the teacup ride will no longer be quite so terrifying because that's what NASA's for. Interesting. I mean, Uh. I have gotten seasick sometimes. I get sick if I'm up the back. It's more the the swaying, like the Uh it's the laggy sort of thing. If it's like jolty or whatever that's fine yep. but i think it's the the rolling sort of action that can set me off that can mess you up for sure now dom now okay this next part of my story is not necessarily about funny things that the brain uh does to everyone but funny things that have happened to certain people's brains i have based on the time of where we're at in this podcast i have too many to share with you today. So this is a choose your own adventure. I'm going to give you some titles of the uh, articles or stories that go with um, those titles. And the ones that we don't read are the ones that we will in fact share with our Patreons, our Patreon members. Is this part of Patreon time or are we? Yes, it's Patreon time. So I'm going to share with you, Dom, uh, all of the headlines and you can choose Two of the stories I believe we're going to have time for, two stories, and the others will be available on our Patreon for our listeners. Mm -hmm. So would you like to hear about the man who stuck his head in a particle accelerator? Would you like to hear about the artist who is missing a piece of his brain? Would you like to hear about the man with almost no brain? Would you like to hear about the mentally ill man who cured himself with a gun? Would you like to hear the strange journey of Albert Einstein's brain? Or would you like to hear the cheery story of the woman who scratched through her skull? Oh, um... You get to choose two. Just two. Okay. Just two. I... I really, really want to know about the scratching through the skull, but because Mm -hmm. I really want to know about it, I have a feeling that other people are going to want to know about it. So (laughs) screw you folks. If you want to hear about that particular horror story, you can actually be a Patreon. Bang. Um, Suck it. Obviously, I'm going to go with the art one because I'm an artist. 
I did pick that because of you, yes. Yeah, the artist who was missing a piece of his brain. Okay, first one up. And, and I think Albert Einstein. Great, great choices. Okay, shall we start with the artist? Yes. Exquisite. Okay. John Sarkin, a 35-year-old chiropractor, was playing golf one day when something weird happened inside his head. One of his blood vessels started moving and eventually pressed against his auditory nerve, causing a deafening case of tinnitus or tinnitus, whatever people want to call it. Uh, Hoping to cure the incessant buzzing, Sarkin underwent a strange type of surgery in 1989. His doctor separated the nerve and the capillary with a piece of Teflon. But unfortunately, the treatment caused a massive stroke. Now, when Sarkin woke up weeks later, he found that he was, in fact, missing a piece of his brain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Due to the stroke, doctors had to cut a chunk from the left side of Sarkin's brain, causing a complete personality change. Suddenly, John had a burning desire to draw an urge that completely consumed his life. When he returned to his chiropractic practice, he sketched random pictures between patients, doodling strange shapes, cacti, and odd faces. During dinner, he would stop eating to jot down ideas that were bubbling up in his brain. It turned out that John was experiencing a bizarre condition called sudden artistic output which is so rare that doctors have only recorded three cases caused by brain injury. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Whilst this brain injury uh, would make most starving artists green with envy, in 1993, Sarkin sold eight of his pictures to The New Yorker. He quit his business and opened an art studio. Since then, John's work has appeared in The New York Times and The Boston Globe. His story was purchased by Tom Cruise's production company and he was the subject of a book written by a Pulitzer Prize winning author. If you want to buy one of John's pieces, you'll have to shell out more than $10,000 per canvas. As far as stroke side effects go, this one is pretty profitable. Wow, I love hearing stories like that where people wake up and they can play the piano or they wake up and they speak a language or... yeah. All of a sudden he's, I don't know the quality of his art. I can't speak to it. Uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. anyway, cool. Um, there you go. Maybe I need to hack away at my brain and maybe I'll start making some serious dosh on my art. Um, I would prefer you didn't. Okay. Again, not a doctor, um, <laughs> so can't give you any proper advice on that. But I don't know that that's going to be a good strat. Okay. Moving forward. I'll save it till I'm um, 80 or 90. Okay. Sounds like a plan. And done with. <laughs> okay, Dom, you also chose on our uh, Choose Your Own Adventure series, The Strange Journey of Einstein's Brain. Yeah, hit me up. I love this. Albert Einstein was clearly a genius. Okay. We all, we can we all agree on that? Yeah. All right. Now, many of us have wondered from time to time, how did his brain work? Pathologist Thomas Harvey wondered the same thing and he decided to find out the answer. If he had to break a few rules along the way, then so be it. Now, before his death in 1955, Einstein stipulated that his remains were to be cremated. The last thing that he wanted was mobs of zealous students gathering around his tomb, murmuring E equals MC squared over and over again. (laughs) The only way to keep (laughs) 
This is really uh, quite abrupt writing also. The only way to keep his corpse from becoming a holy relic was to burn it to a crisp. (laughs) That meant, though, he also wanted his brain fried as well. However, Thomas Harvey didn't care. He claimed that he had permission of Princeton Hospital, which he did not, and he plucked out Einstein's brain during an autopsy. Needless to say that this was a big no-no. Please don't do that. Yeah. Now, in danger of losing his job, Harvey convinced Einstein's son to okay the operation, claiming that his dad's brain needed to be studied for science. Now, I can get on board with wanting to study someone's brain for science, particularly somebody of this capacity. Absolutely. However, that's not their wishes. He didn't want people wandering around and, and, and checking out his tomb and whatnot. So he wanted to be sizzled. So let him be sizzled, if that's his wishes. Let it go. Mm -hmm. Let it go. Now, Harvey wasn't a neuroscientist and he didn't know what he was doing. So this is a really positive step. (laughs) When hospital officials asked him to hand over the brain, he refused and he was fired. Fair enough. His next step was to drive to Philadelphia where he found a technician to slice Einstein's brain into over 200 cubes. Okay, that's not the way to study a brain. I'm just going to point that so. out there. Like, try and put that back together. That's right. Now, over the next 40 years, the little squares ended up in weird places. Harvey stored them in jars in his basement. Like, what a waste. And that's weird and creepy and odd. Now, they almost, uh, almost all of those met their destruction at the hands of Harvey's wife. Now, when Harvey moved to Kansas, he kept the bits in a box under a beer cooler. They were regularly admired by uh, naked lunch author William Burroughs, and Harvey once accidentally left them at the house of Einstein's granddaughter, who wasn't too pleased. As for scientific study, that didn't exactly pan out. Pan out. Harvey mailed pieces... <laughs> Mailed pieces of the brain to various researchers, but most neurologists weren't keen on analysing Einstein's brain. The few scientists that did show interest cranked out studies that were mostly inconclusive, derided or discredited. Disappointed, Harvey eventually returned the brain, or what was left of it, to Princeton Hospital and Harvey died in 2007. Nobody tried to steal his brain. Yeah, um, (laughs) no doubt. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Right? Absurd. Can I ask? So that, please. Where was was this dude from? Uh, He was from, that's a great question, Um, pathologist that was somewhere in the States. He was working for, it doesn't say here. Yeah, I feel like whatever you say, I'm going to, let's just pretend I don't know and I'm just going to go, doesn't. Surprise me. Yeah. Well, I mean, where's where's Princeton? Princeton it's Hospital. It's in the States, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So wherever that is, I think anyway, is where it was. Just yeah. fuck's sake. Yeah. Well, those are our two Choose Your Own Adventure. What I will leave our regular listeners with is our pop culture reference of the week before we take care of some of our other stories on our Patreon. Love it. The popo culturano that I have chosen is James Bond's The World Is Not Enough. Oh. 1999 film release. It was the 
third of the Bond adventures. Yes, Gold Knight, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough. Very good. Uh, the reason that I have chosen this is because the bad guy who was played by Robert Carlyle, mm-hmm. his name was Victor Zocas, but he was better known as Renard the Anarchist. Yeah. He was um, former KGB uh, who turned terrorist. And then he was conspiring with another um, beautiful woman, Electra King, and was trying to monopolize the world's oil market for profit. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, when Renard was going to be taken out by MI6, he got shot in the head. Now, rather than kill him, the bullet stayed in his head uh, and then it started to like remove different uh, sensations, feelings, emotions. So what was different about Victor is that he could not feel pain. Yeah. Pain was a, not a receptive uh, thing for him. Um, so Renard is the only James Bond villain who's defined and called an anarchist. Interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Renard's forename is the French word for fox. And in real life, if a person were to lose the ability to feel after a brain injury, um, they would end up being paralyzed and they would need a respirator to breathe. Yeah. I don't think quite as catchy a Bond villain as <laughs> Renard turned out to be. This is, I think, possibly the second or third time we have featured The World Is Not Enough as our pop culture yes, reference. Yes, we have, exactly, because it's got a bit of everything and it's not a great Bond movie, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Particularly, yeah, I mean, Die Another Day is Brosnan's worst. We can all agree on that. Goldeneye, one of, if not the best Bond movie out there, in my personal opinion. But The World Is Not Enough. The bad guy who we didn't talk so much about, who don't feel no pain, is Victor. Yep. Wow. What a guy. guy. (laughs) So, Dom, that is the end of my regular episode about the brain. But if you are a Patreon member or if you would like to listen to a little bit more of our story, you can jump on to our Patreon account pay a couple of bucks and you'll be able to hear all about the man who stuck his head into a particle accelerator. Fascinating. The man with almost no brain. What? What do you mean? Almost no brain. The mentally ill man who cured himself with a gun. How? Was there medicine in the gun? And also the woman who scratched through her skull. And yes, it is as terrifying, horrifying, awful, and gross as you might think. Loving it, Kate. Thank you so much for teaching us so much about the brain. It was both interesting and a little bit creepy, but I think for those that love the extra creep, they really should just come and join us on Patreon. So yeah, come and play. Wrap it up there, folks. Please go check out our socials. Please go check out Horror Roulette from the Boopod Network and give us whatever star rating and review you think is appropriate. But We'll make it easy for you. It's just five stars. Five stars. Five stars, dillies. Five stars. And next week. Love your work. Yes, what are you doing? Next week, Kate, I'm going to do real life. So this is a story inspired by a pop culture phenomenon on Mm -hmm. the movie series Taken. (gasps) I have a very particular set of skills. I'm going to share not one but two real-life Taken stories, and these stories you just will not fucking believe. They are I cannot wait. The most 
and they are unsolved possibly still. So <gasps> you have to come along and let's see if we can summit and man this and solve them for the world. I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> All right, folks. See you next week. Love you. Bye. 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 Love you. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.